My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. All right, back to another All American Wing Shooting podcast. Today I have one of my newest favorite friends, Les Nesbitt. Hey. Welcome, Les. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation, Anna, to be on one of your very first start-off podcasts. Okay. I'll try not to screw it up. No. We'll just we'll just have – we kind of worry about what you say because you always take me by surprise, Les. <laughs> well, and I surprise myself once I – you know, <laughs> once it comes out of my mouth, I'm never sure what I – what went to my brain and comes out my mouth. So I met Les through the wildlife, um, the fowl life crew. So he hunts with them, friends with them, lives here in Reno. And we just hit it off from the first time we met. Actually, when we talked on the phone first. Yes, that's right. I, first time I talked to you on the phone. Um, as, as a, I don't know. As, you might have been hunting on the road or something. I might have been. And that's when you were an acquaintance of Chad, mm-hmm. or maybe I thought you were his girlfriend or acquaintance or whatever, <laughs> whatever the s- hidden situation was. <laughs> well, I finally got to go to your house, which I'd heard all about your big trophy room, which I don't know if you can prepare anybody for it because you have so many stories in that room that it's overwhelming. You feel like you're going into history, just walking into that space. And I love architectural elements and residential construction. And it's like, there's not one detail of that room that is missing from your reclaimed floors to like, we talked about your beams and yeah, and it's just incredible. It was uh, a lot of thought put into it for a lot of years. I, I had only moved to that particular home 10 or 12 years ago. Prior to that, I had everything stuffed in a much smaller space, some of them in storage, uh, until, but I had in mind what I wanted to build in that room. And um, it is, it's a lot of history in my mind. That's 35, 40 years of hunting, basically, uh, uh, that accumulating all those different species and, you know, birds and turkeys, et cetera. And they're iconic, but the, they they don't represent every single trip you've ever been on. Oh, absolutely not. You know, not. that's so that's insane. Just a, that's just a, a portion yeah. of uh, what it is when I was, oh, I've probably been doing it and it killed, let's say, oh, half a dozen or a dozen varieties of animals, not, you know, deer, elk, sheep, whatever. And I became aware of the Super Slam, which at that time was 30, which is now 29. And what and organization is this with? This is this is with um, the, 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 the animals that are accepted by Boone and Crockett. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> it's, uh, uh, it's what they have North American record books on that are legal animals you can legally right, take. Some people like may not understand this whole big game world that's listening, so. And that's true. Yeah. That's true. So, uh, I mean, it, it, you have mule deer. Let's say deer, for example, just what, what Boone and Crockett accepts. There's five species of deer. There's uh, four species of bear. There's five species of caribou. So you have to get one of these species in every one. Um, there's, you know, coos deer, mule deer, whitetail, blacktail, Sitka blacktail. So those are the, well, they all live in different areas, but that's all part of the Super 29. So 
you have to go to the areas specifically for that species Mm -hmm. to get it. So it entails a lot of traveling and uh, a lot of effort and and in most cases a lot of exercise to to do that. You've accomplished some things that very few people have. uh, Well, I think when... uh, I think when when I got uh, when I got the award um, a couple of years ago, I was the hundred and seventy fifth person that had done it. Done what? Killed all twenty nine soup people. So what what is that title called? It's a suit called the Super Slam. There's Super the, Slam. People is, are, is it like a Hall of Fame? Well, I don't know if you'd call it a Hall of Fame, but we it's, think you're a Hall of Famer, less. <laughs> well, that's just because I tell everybody <laughs> I am. You know, I, I don't. I can pick a soft topic and say, well, I'm Hall of Fame in that. But um, it's just a it's just an accomplishment that I set after, and uh, it's not a cheap accomplishment. So I started off as a young carpenter, you know, and I would save every dime I could. I bought a house, and I literally my wife went along with it pretty good. But I would take loans out of my house and no sign way. up a guide and go hunt. And then I come back and I'd work and work and work and pay off that loan. And so then, when did you start this goal? 30, 30, 35 years 35 ago. years ago. So how old were you, though? Uh, I was, when I when I first realized what it was, I was probably 32, 33. I'd been hunting for a long time, but I wasn't Did you grow really, up hunting? Like, has this just been in your blood your whole life? Uh, I was a, basically an orphan in Southern California. I had no, nobody in my family that hunted. I just, for some reason, was fascinated with it. That's amazing. Uh, so and the things that you've accomplished are just unreal okay so you were taking out loans on your house to chase this dream and paying them off and my wife accepted (laughs) to believe it or not (laughs) i've been convinced well sign this we're doing a loan on this house well what for you putting an addition no i'm I'm gonna go hunt grizzly bear (laughs) (laughs) i don't think there's very many people in the world that can say they've well, gotten away with that that's true but you know what the hell we were married for 50 years so oh my gosh that's incredible okay so you've done all that but when like we've traveled and just had fun that had nothing to do with hunting like we have just a genuine friendship but i still don't know like how you got into the dogs and i know your son's a trainer and you're wing shooting a lot duck hunting do you do upland? Because um, uh, your your big game is iconic. Like your it is it, it, it is. I guess you could say that. But my my first first thing that I hunted, I've literally uh, been hunting deer in Nevada. This is years ago before I was trying to pursue this this dream of the Super Twenty Nine or Super Thirty, um, and I would be up here hunting deer, oh maybe a hundred miles from where I normally hunt ducks. And the wind would start blowing, and the weather would get bad. And I'm, I'm hunting deer, and I'd be all by myself. And I'd load everything up, carry it back down the hill, get in the car, drive the 80 miles to Fallon, and hunt ducks. Well, ducks have has always been just something I love to do. Yeah. And that's uh, <clears throat> when I first got married. For I took my, I got married in November. My wife's honeymoon was out sitting in a duck blind. I didn't have a dog, and I'm trying to convince her to go get them. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's honest to God truth, but so that's then I thought, well, I got I'm going to get a dog, and and I knew somebody when I, where I was raised in Southern California had Springers, so I had gotten a Springer, which are not conducive to waterfowl hunting in cold regions like right. this, and so from there I went to a Chesapeake, and 
you know, that's like, um, I guess, going from a Springer Spaniel to a Chesapeake, I guess would be like having dinner with, um, you know, Arnold Palmer, and then next day go have dinner with Mike Tyson. You know, there was one's really nice, and the other can really be vicious. Right. And the Chesapeake's, I I loved him. He he would go out and lay down on that ice water with me all day, really, without any problems, uh, to the point that we would both get hypothermia laying in the water. But and then um, whatever it was, thirty five years ago, there was a, a a trainer that put on a little seminar at the park. You know, come and learn how yeah. to. Yeah. He's trying to build up his business or whatever. So I had this Chesapeake so I went over there and was listening to him and he was teaching about retrievers so I got talking to him so I went out and training with him a couple times and we beca- and that's how I got kind of involved uh in retriever training uh <clears throat> went from Chesapeake's to Labrador's because they were a little easier to train uh and maybe not so aggressive true uh and that's how I more consistent, I guess you could say. Cause What's that? You could just say that the lab was more of a consistent personality. Yes, it was. They're, yeah. they're more tractable. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, uh, not any more determination because once those old Chessies decide they were going to swim two miles out to get a bird, that was not a problem. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, so that's kind of how I got involved with the dogs. And I really, I was never great in a field trial game. I, I you know, placed a few dogs, but... Uh, but I trained to trained up to hunt, and then uh, my son, as a young kid, uh, he would go out and throw birds for me and work. And, and he, he caught ended, the bug, huh? He he later on invited got it, and he got into the field trial game, uh, and has hence done really well from winning the nationals to making numerous. So what's his kennel name? He doesn't have a kennel. He's oh, just yeah. a, he's just a guy that goes out and it's all he does is travel from field trial to field trial and train. He. He does. He makes no money off it. He's, everything he does is out of his pocket. Really? Yeah. So, hmm. you know, he just does it. Just for a the, field trail junkie. That was kind of like yeah. me tournament hunting. Just stay on that rodeo circuit and go to yeah. the next one and it's have a, a good time. It's, that's a good analogy. Just like the, the rodeo people or something, mm-hmm. you know, from, from one to the other. Some Every once in a while you win one, but you keep going. Yeah. So, well, tell me this last year, what, what was your favorite hunt? Because I kind of got to keep up with your season a little bit. Well, um, I didn't I didn't get any big game tags last year. That so you I were got. stuck with that. With and so I and and the, the waterfowl hunting the waterfowl. in Nevada was horrible. And the club that I'm involved with that I go to, they kind of have a draw system, and my numbers were real, and, and I was not drawing good hunts. So, and I had in the past hunted with. Uh, Chad Belding in the fowl life. Yeah. And so they invited me and we went, we started off going to Texas and we didn't hunt there, but then we moved down to Oklahoma and Wyoming and wherever the good scouting Nebraska happened to be. And, yeah. How, well, how is that, Les? Because you're so structured and everything, and then you get on this wagon with these boys and you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's true, but you know, at my age, I'm lost half the time anyway, so what difference does <laughs> it And I'm, I meet a lot of people that, uh, uh, I met a lot of people, yourself included, yeah. uh, this last go-round, and uh, uh, and John LaMonica, right. LaMonica, who's a world-class big game hunter, I mean, uh, in a total league all his own. I mean, he's hunted whatever it is, 36 or so countries, 
and uh, waterfowl being his baby. He, we were hunting in, uh, uh, I think it was Nebraska. He's 91 years old. I'm 81 years old. And we're climbing in and out of that blind together. You would have thought we were just little kids, but we had such we have such a love for the waterfowl. I know. I hated I wasn't there because his wife and I connected on social media, and we talk about gear and stuff just, you know, for women. It's a little different. They just seem like the sweetest couple. They they were his wife was really nice. It's so cool they do they do yeah. all these hunts together because they left you guys and went to Mexico. They did, uh, and then I think I might be wrong about this, but I was, I think they were going to Argentina too. Yeah, maybe they um, did. I, you know, and uh, uh, at his age, I mean, I just think that's so iconic just to show it, the longevity of absolutely you know shotgunning. In a, a year prior to this duck hunt. He wasn't expected to live because of the the virus. Uh, mm. he, his son, who was a physician, told him, "Dad, the next you may not make it the next seventy two hours or or whatever it was." Oh well. But he got better, and he's right back out there hunting ducks. Now, so. didn't you guys do a podcast with Chad while you were on yes, the road? Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, we'll have to post that. Yeah, we did that one with his wife. Yeah, because that would be so good for yeah. me here too. Just well, Chad and I've done a, a podcast, and you know this because you're on the road, and then you just hang out with them, but. There's so much of this lifestyle that we just can't document, oh. you know, and just sharing experiences with people and encouraging people to go and strike out on their own, um, like trailblaze their own journey and their own stories because, like, you just meet the best people at the hunting lodge. You do. You do. And everybody has a common interest, you know. Right. And there are some people that you might run into that maybe you don't agree with, but you still have a common interest, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean— I might even have a common interest on hunting with a liberal, which is really difficult for me. <laughs> and you're so opinionated. Well, not totally opinionated. You know, <laughs> it's not an opinion when you're correct, when, when you're, you're right. Right, of course. It's a, Then it goes from opinion to a fact. I don't know. You might be one of the most witty people I know. Fast <laughs> on your feet. Well, you know, I'm still bouncing along for 81, so I'm still climbing mountains. 81. Okay, yeah, that... You're you have some amazing stories, and I I we can share some of your stories. It don't even have anything to do with hunting, but you're really an adrenaline junkie. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's nothing more fun than um, I, living. I, I killed Just a living. grizzly bear thirty feet on a full charge, you know, and that was that was exciting. I, How, when was that? That was up on Kodiak Island. I don't know, fifteen, eighteen years ago. I shot him once. He went in a thick cover. And they went around, and, and he come out, and then he's coming towards me. I, I really don't think he, he – they don't see well anyway. And he was r- charging right towards me. I had a big boulder behind me. But he was coming right towards me. And I think I just happened to be where he was running too. But mm-hmm. at the time, I didn't analyze sure it that personal, way. Huh? <laughs> yeah, he looked like he was coming. He was coming to eat my ass. And he's uh, he's coming down there, and I, I – it was the first time I hunted the big bears, and I did not have the proper uh, optics on there. Anyway, I pulled up. All I see, all I see now is hair. Pulled the trigger, and luckily I hit him in the spine, and he went down in his little ditch. But the next thing I remember, this boulder behind me was pretty tall, and somehow or another, I was on top of that boulder, <laughs> and I'm emptying this gun down in this bear. But I, and I, I could just get a big kick out of that. That. You uh, well for your seventieth birthday. You told me you were bull rod. Yeah, yeah. I went and and oh, what the hell? You know, if you're gonna be a bear, you got to be a grizzly. So, um, 
<laughs> my grandsons had, my son-in-law, they rodeo guys. My son-in-law's from Montana, and they had Brahma bulls. And I was over there, and I told him, well, hell, let me get on there. My grandsons are going, oh, Fafa, you're way too old for this. I said, bullshit. Now, truly, I did not make eight seconds. <laughs> I don't think I made eight <laughs> seconds on the two or three times I rode it. Two but, or three? Yeah. You tried multiple times? Well, yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> but So they just put you in the chute and, and you said, yeah. let them fly. Yeah, let them go. Uh, you know, and I, I was really good. I got on there and everything and I managed to shake my head really good like they do before they go. You <laughs> Is know? there a video of this somewhere? I've got <laughs> no, to see it. I don't it. think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the intelligence doesn't always work because I went down a month later and had shoulder, shoulder surgery. You know, so we talk about these things and with the kids that you don't put yourself in a situation to injure yourself that'll take you out of hunting season. Well, you know, I, I, hunting season was a little ways off. Well, Taterbug just got on a hoverboard. She wasn't even smart about it. She was on the road, like in a cul-de-sac with all the rocks and the sticks. Well, those hoverboards don't do well on that. So then it like got jammed up. It threw her off. She broke her arm. And now she can't shoot. So she's feeling the reality of why we set certain rules. It's like accidents are going to happen, but sometimes you just don't go asking for them, you know? Well, that's true. But on the other hand, you don't want to live your life sitting in a hammock. Well, we don't really live in a hammock. Well, I mean. We just have different priorities, I guess. Yes. You know, there's nothing more exciting than the uh, aspect of or getting killed doing something. Living on know. the edge, you're you're just always got one toe over the edge. Yeah, you know. And my theory is, if some big guy comes up and tells me how tough he is, and I tell him, "Well, look, I stood face to face with a grizzly bear, partner, so I'm really not afraid of you." <laughs> and what the hell? By the time I was twenty, I'd been stabbed once and shot once. So why should I be afraid, <laughs> afraid of a bear? <laughs> my gosh. Okay, well, tell me about, like, how, how much upland hunting you've done, because there's quite a lot out here, you know, that I just haven't been exposed to being from the south. You know, I've been such a waterfowl fan. I, years ago in the 60s, 70s here in Nevada, they, they would open chucker and sage hen prior to the duck. So I would hunt chucker and sage hen for a week or two till the waterfowl season opened up. And, then, and at that time... There was no drawing for deer tags. You just went down and bought one. And the state was obviously much smaller. Um, so but once the waterfowl season opened up, I didn't really hunt upland game at all. Um, I went a few places to hunt pheasants, and that was only for the purpose of training a young dog mm-hmm. on pheasants. Um, you know, I don't know why, because all I ever hunted was ducks. Um, but it's just so fun to watch them work. It, it is. It is, you know. And... I really didn't have upland game type dogs. They were all, all the dogs I had were Labradors and or Chesapeake. The Springers, when I had the Springers originally, I would hunt uh, uh, pheasants because they were pretty good pheasants. But at that time, there was not a lot of pheasant hunting uh, in Nevada and, and not a lot of put and take pheasant clubs mm-hmm. around here. Well, you uh, got a dog right now that I think would rock the, the Dakotas on pheasants. Oh, with bounce? Oh, yeah. If she couldn't find him, she could certainly jump on him. <laughs> yeah, at your age, you're starting dog all over again. That That's crazy. You're just constantly looking for another project because oh, she's absolutely. got a handful. She, oh, she will be. She will be. And, you know, like I said, my collar, my 
at, at this last little field trial and out training this last weekend, she ripped her collar off someplace out in the Thule's out there. So that's that's why I'm sure to call. That's why I come over to borrow a collar from Chad. But um, anyway, and uh, as far as training her, I get a lot of tips from my son. He's an extremely good amateur trainer. Um, bounce, bounce got her name because she literally runs like a deer would. Yeah, bounce through the field. Uh, she does. It's very, and when, you told me, and it's one of those things that you just don't believe it until you see it. <laughs> it is. It is. And when you when she you shooting bird for you when you're training, if you shoot a bird out there or something, she goes ninety miles an hour. And if she sees it out there, because I what I've been trying to do because she's so young is get her to go through heavy cover and then the bird fall in open area mm-hmm. to get her to continue through. And she going through that heavy cover. She gets out there and she sees that bird laying on the ground. When she's about 10 feet from it, she starts bouncing up in the air and lands on top of it. Oh, that's so cute. She's a cute little black lab. What did you say? Little. She's a year old? She just turned a year old. Yeah, she was pretty small. Yeah. Super cute girl. And she's running 75 to 100 yard blinds. So, you know, for a young dog, she's doing good. Yeah. She's Not to my, most of this comes from my son had her for, quite a while trying to train her and decided it wasn't a national caliber dog so <clears throat> he yeah. liked her so much he you might have to go when we go out to um for black um black goose outfitters in nebraska oh. if we go back out there yeah we might have to take her to chase some pheasants you know i've got a you you know more about upland dog training than i i mean i waterfowl but I got to get control of her before I let her run loose, busting pheasants. I want to I wanna have a She got to stay in range. You got to make sure she has range yeah. with you. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. want her to stay in range, and I want her to quarter hunt. And the other dogs, when I used to, even the labs, I would get them hunting quarters, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, uh, we'll do that. I can and, always uh, help you. You just call me. We'll go quarter. I'll quarter with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but I want to have complete control. Of, and she's she's a few months away from having complete control. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I, I've been around really big time Labrador trainers for the last 30 years. And I don't want to burn her to death, you know, because right. you can't put, you can't put it back in them, what mm-hmm. they've got. You can burn it out of them, but you can't burn it back into them. So, yeah, that's such a good point too. And, and when you're picking a dog, I always say, you know, for people that are like, well, I want to get a dog. Well, what's the purpose? You know, that's like the first question I ask. What's the purpose you want for your dog? Because people don't understand even within um, different breeds, there's different genetic makeups that create purposes. So my whole theory is is I ask people, have you found a trainer that produces the, the dog that you want to own? Go there. Like completely start this process backwards. Go find that trainer that's producing consistently the dog that you would love to have. Let them help you find the puppy. And that way, they know what they're getting into in the training process, and you know what the outcome is that you're going to end up with. Yeah. You know, and, and and again, you're more like a pro trainer in the pointer uh, circuit mm, or familiar with the— No, or, I'm, or, yeah, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the Labrador. And one of the things I've always mentioned to people— I can take a field trial dog because I have a little bit of background and knowledge in it, and I can hunt a high, high-pressure field trial dog that's just high pressure. The average guy out there hunting 
can't do that. They're the, they're they're really probably well-bred dogs. Maybe they even had some good training in. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, they're hunting two blinds away with somebody else because the people either let them get away with something and they didn't gain that just respect. like a little kid. You let them do a little bit, yeah. then they go a little. And next thing you know, the dog's out there 200 yards because that guy's shooting more birds. Right. I'm going to go over and sit with him. But, you know, if you get... And, and there's they nothing do wrong know with that. They know. Oh, they I know when they're memes. being told and when they can be boss and when they can't. Oh, yeah, it's just for like sure. wives. They know when they can oh, t- tell your us. husband, tell their husband what the hell to do and what not to do. You know, with a dog, with a dog wanting to be good, you can hold back his feed. With wives, they hold back other things. Oh my! Well, you know, when you talk about the motor on a dog, I started with a wide open short hair, and so that was all I ever knew, right? Because that was the first dog that I had, and she has to be handled. Um, so then when I switched and started adding the labs to my life and I had such great success from the beginning because I didn't know any different. Right. So the first lab I ever ran was a world champion, like the month before I ran her and I took second and I'd never even watched a flusher field before. So, um, it was very beneficial for me. And and I have talked about how I made every first mistake you could ever make like getting the wrong dog having the wrong gun not understanding eye dominance issues like just jumping in the deep end of the pool and just figure it out kind of thing and that's what I did and I could have made life a little bit more easy on me but I'm grateful for for those lessons because now I know how to apply them and the benefits of it um because I stayed so committed to to this world you know but I love a dog that you gotta handle you know I I love that challenge now that I can appreciate what that means. And then the level of training, the commitment of training that it takes to get that type of dog and how special those situations are. But it all is about your purpose. You know, if you're one of those hunters that's going to hunt three or four times a year, you know, on the weekends and you want a, you know, just a buddy companion dog, you may not want one of these field trial genetic dogs or. They they just too much dog, you know. Um, I've always maintained a dog that gets good obedience but hunts 40, 50 times a year becomes an unbelievable gun dog. Uh, he knows how to heal, set, and stay. Yes. He may not run blinds, but they hunting enough. They, they kind of know where things are. Well, you know, so with my competition world, I didn't know anything about testing, right? Because I'd always just been in the pointing world or whatever and then i got introduced to retriever world and i never believed that i would have loved it as much as i do now and then i I wasn't really sure that i was going to love the hunt test life but once you understand those skills in the hunt test world and the application and the advantages that you have in the hunting world and upland is one thing being able to to put your dog in a place that you want when you don't have to go there but definitely with retrieving and waterfowl it is the most rewarding part of the hunt. Well, you know, I probably wouldn't have the fascination as hard as I do for waterfowl, but wasn't for dogs. That's I mean, what hooked that's, me this year for that's sure. That's just that's half the battle. I yep. mean, it's more than it. it's it's even if you're out there by yourself, you get satisfaction if your dog makes a nice retrieve or or uh, makes a long retrieve on his own, stays out there in those thick tulies and hunts and hunts and hunts. He saw it go down there, but stays out there five or ten minutes because that bird's alive, moving around, 
but still stays in there and digs it out. Yeah, so my first snow goose hunt, the second day, Chad sent me out there by myself with Axel and handling the whole thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go again, jumping in the deep end of the pool. You know, like, what mistakes am I going to make today? But I got so addicted. Like, I can't steal his dog because he's so committed to him. But I've got Littles. Littles is my upland retriever, my lab. And I did all the training on her and felt super confident with it. But I would love nothing more than to have my own dog this season. So I already called and talked about shipping her off for the summer to get signals put on all the hand signals put on her just so that I have my own dog because it was amazing to get to run him and he's such an icon, you know, and then sure, whatever. And but just to have your own dog with the bond and stuff is yeah. just it's so amazing to get that dog out in the middle of the water and it then is. you know and, and just have know, that communication and once you've hunted with them a while uh, with my older dog pistol uh, i can set him one way kind of looking here and you watch that dog and they'll spot those birds way out there mm, i mean and you, then the mark them yeah and how like i watched Axel like mark three with three geese laying out in the water and i'm of course like still rookie you know so i'm trying to hold all this together and he's way far beyond me telling me what to do he's like it's right over here and he's already sitting already lined up ready to go he's just waiting on me to send him um so you know it it was just so fun and it's great watching all these groups fly in but the anticipation is getting to send the dog after it was where was it you were hunting waterfowl which we went uh well, when we did, Nebraska? when goose season came around, we were in Nebraska and Iowa. Okay. That was after, I think that was after, uh, that was the second one. That was after I headed back to Reno. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You'll and, have, we'll have to be at the same camp this year. Yes. Yes. Because I'm really quite enjoyable to be around. You are. Okay. Yes. So we did go on vacation for the weekend together. That's true. In Vegas. That's true. We, you hung with us pretty dang good in Vegas. I think you might have actually done better than me. <laughs> well, I have probably a lot more years practicing. What did you think when we ended up with um what was that guy's name? Aoki. Was it what's it? Who? Steve Aoki. Remember when we ended up at that one club and we were oh, way I, I don't know. We I like never I never heard of the there. guy in my life. Me either. I don't even know how we ended up there. Well, I think Chase had got my understanding that Chase had set that up. He got that that booth or whatever you wanted to call it in there <laughs> and uh he had somehow got that and that's where we ended up i don't know the only thing i was managed to get there and i brought the doctor with us even even though you know it didn't work out that's okay no that's right nothing ever works out i i get to being too cocky oh man well we we always have fun at losers we had a good time there on the dance floor at losers remember before we went before we went there no, I don't. Losers. No, yeah, I don't. losers was that. Remember, we took our picture on the dance floor. Was that for your birthday? It was your birthday. Oh, that was that was. It was the same day. I think with Chase's when Chase's was Chase was playing. No, it was before that. At losers was the bar. Oh, that's at the bar that we were sitting around at and, yeah. and eating dinner. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the name of the bar. I I try not to remember a lot of things like that. Names of bars and stuff. The only reason you need to know that in case you get a, something from a lawyer. Oh my goodness! So we we had such a good time that we did. Trip. We had a good time. 
We did. You, everywhere we went, it was your birthday. It was your birthday at, at the dinner, at the steak dinner? And, and my birthday isn't until November, but goddamn, you can sell that and get more stuff. <laughs> it was birthday your birthday presents. weekend. <laughs> it was. It was. It truly was. And I and I had to miss your actual birthday dinner here because I was back in Georgia. But well, Okay, so tell me, since you've had all of these experiences, you've raised kids in the outdoors, you've mentored I don't know how many people, your stories have impacted, you know, I, I don't know, just one person after another. Like, what's what advice do you give people with the, with their hunting it, it, dreams? You know, and and, and that's and that's a question usually people don't. When I get questioned about you know my room, well, which animal did you like the most? Well, there's no answer to that. But I guess what would I tell the hunters is. You got to go as two things as far as your passion will take you because I don't care what you without the passion and the commitment and doesn't have to be there's more to it than a financial uh, 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 a commitment to it which was just part of it but when I was seventy eight I think it was I I went on a stone sheep hunt in the in the Canadian Rockers it was up there eighteen days it was snowing the whole time we were backpacking well it's not easy but that's the easier part than the three or four months prior that I was out climbing the mountains around my house. Every day I had a trainer that would give me different workout programs. I have another friend that had climbed Mount Everest, so he's given me uh, ideas on how to exercise. So not just that hunt, but almost every other hunt that I've done, you have to if you're going to spend that kind of money or that kind of effort, you have to be physically prepared, and that's a big part of it. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on guided hunts that people didn't get physically prepared, and they either got a really small animal, and uh, on that stone sheep hunt, it was really bad weather, and 80% of the people that up there just said bullshit and left. And they were all in their 50s. Is There's too much snow and this and that. Well, not even something that extreme. I mean, I just chased bears in uh, West Virginia. And those mountains are pretty steep. And sometimes you're on a sprint, you know, hanging on the roots, pulling sure. yourself up. And by the time that you finally get your animal, you're so exhausted. The adrenaline's got you so, uh, like, amped up. You can't hold your gun straight. No, and that's very true. But that that's the difference between people that are going to do this for a long time and as far as success in hunting for species or whatever, doesn't mean that you have to kill all the animals, mm -hmm. is just how dedicated you want to be. How important is it to you? you know, how, so uh, what do you think about this? Because I, I teach a lot of this with my shooting instruction in the wing shooting world because, um, you know, I've been a competitive shooter on the sporting clay side and then in the hunting world um, about mental management. Because the things that you've committed to, it goes it goes beyond passion. Like, you can be passionate about something and just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right? Correct. But your passion actually took you to extreme levels of this hunting world that takes um, mental strength. It does. It, it's just like anything else you do, whether it's your whether it's your occupation or how successful you want to be at it or what's your most capacity, you have to decide, that's my goal. And my theory was, and I used to tell my kids, you die before you quit at anything. So once you've set that goal, you don't let anything stop you, no matter what it is. 
I fell off fell off a cliff, ended up paralyzing one leg, and they talked about taking it off. Uh, when was this? This was 10, 15 years ago, something like that. I was uh, I was uh, preparing for a sheep hunt, and I got on some shale, and I, I screwed my knee up in there, got a blood clot in there, and they went, to, and one, one thing or another, they nicked, a, nicked the artery, and I started bleeding in me. And so I, I went totally paralyzed uh, for four or five days. And, you know, long story short, I, I didn't. But I still, on my left leg, I can take and stick needles in it because the nerves are gone. But I worked through that. I, my trainer come down here. We set up a program. My friend of mine that had been up Everest, we set up a training program um, that I did every day, every day, every day. And I, I, there's certain things. Coming downhill is a little hard on it because I'm weak going downhill. I'm mm-hmm. pretty good going uphill. But I didn't let it stop me, and I didn't, I didn't cry baby and said, oh, my God, my, my, I'm paralyzed. I can't hunt. Uh, I, I'm laying in the hospital, and they're talking about taking off my leg, and I'm talking to my trainer. I says, well, if they do have to do that, I want to get one of those pathetic things. And I says, I need for you to, to start reading about how to train me on that so I can go on these hunts. Um, and I was totally serious, you know. Um, Making the decision, haven't made the decision. You're yeah, still committed. My leg off, I've but still if got they hunts were planned. Going to take it off. This is what I'm going to do to continue what I like to do. That's amazing. So it's just how much commitment you want to make to it, you know. So that's the life lesson, huh? You're going to die before you quit, no matter the consequences. Yeah. No matter what the hurdles are, the struggles. Die before you quit. Die before you lose. Well, you know, you've lived such a full life. I always love being around you. You're just so happy and enthusiastic and encouraging and it's contagious well i hope so <laughs> i hope so i one of the things i enjoy the most is trying to make people laugh so well we stay in stitches when you're around less <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, you might be in stitches but sometimes <laughs> sometimes maybe the boyfriends want to hit me <laughs> <laughs> Well, I look forward to the season. I hope you get to pheasant hunt with me some. I yeah. think I'll be fun. I, yeah, I would like that. I'm I'm going to Alaska in August to fish for eight or ten days for some halibut and salmon. I have some friends up there, and I'm trying to get with Chad or Clay or something. I want to go hunt alligator. I, I've hunted. I've every, never done that either. I've never. I hunted everything else, and you know, I've killed. I've killed elk over four hundred points, and I've killed some. That is missing out of your trophy room, huh? Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, I need to. I want to go hunt something that I haven't hunted before. When when I was at uh, the awards banquet for the, the 29, you know, and I went to there, and uh, I come back home and I'm sitting in my house by myself, and thinking to myself, it finally dawned on me. Well, I've been doing this now for whatever it was, 35 years, and this was my goal. Now I accomplished my goal. Now what? And I really got depressed. I'm thinking. What do I do now? Do I go back and try to repeat some, or you know, and I repeated every. Besides the twenty-nine, I probably have a hundred and fifty different animals, but I got sixty or seventy of them in that game room. Um, so now, what do I do? And and that's still kind of an issue with me. What what do I do? You know, do I I, I like hunting elk, but you know, I've got a three ninety-eight, a four fifteen. Uh, I've got some pretty good so. You know, I don't know that I'd go do elk. I, you know, I don't know. So that's when this alligator thing popped up. Alligator I, I thought about and Cape bounce. Buffalo. And bounce. I thought about Cape Buffalo, 
and or lion, something that's dangerous, you know. Oh I always wanted to, to um, as, even as a kid, I wanted to hunt grizzlies and shoot a charging grizzly, which I managed which to do. Did, yeah. and, and, and I often thought, you, you watch it on TV, when one of those big African lions are charging, it just looks like such a thrill. That's how my shooting instructor got into sporting clays is that he was going to Africa like every year and his guide there told him to come home and set up a rabbit machine, the clay mm-hmm. that r- rolls on the ground, and shoot it at him. And if if he ever missed, then he was dead. So sure. that's how he trained to go shoot his lion. And boy, that would and that makes sense because there's no there is no second chance. You know, I mean, if 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 you're there and that happens, you you're not going to run because I didn't going to do any good. You know, so you either got to keep your head on straight and defend yourself to the last till you're dead. And I signed up for Cape Buffalo. I signed up for Cape Buffalo, uh, crocodile, and hippos. And it was, this was right back after I had got my head bashed in on a polar bear hunt. Okay, well, we haven't heard that story. Well. I, you know, I had a subdermal hematoma on the ice for 18 days. What happened? I, uh, well, when they pull you out there polar bear hunting, you're in a sled behind a, uh, they, you're sitting inside of a sled. It was, that was discriminate. It's just, it's a plywood box is what it amounts to. And they pull you out there for two and a half days across the ice, which is not like an ice skating rink, undulating stuff. And uh, I had gone up and bashed my head on the top of the box. Well, what happens, I, I had started bleeding on the brain this first or second day. So I, and now I'm getting all this pressure on my brain from, brain from this bleeding on my brain. And uh, uh, make a long story short, we come out there and, and run into a polar bear, and I shoot this polar bear. I was never in so much pain in my life as this pain on my head. You know, just I had used to get migraines, and this was 10 times worse than any migraine. And I managed to kill this polar bear. Then we got stuck on a whiteout out there for two or three days. So I'm laying out there, and you're sleeping in a tent with no heat at 30 below zero. And with Eskimos, and nobody spoke English except for about a 12, 13-year-old kid that was out there. So, um, you know, I didn't know if you wanted me to go into the long version of it. but You can tell your story however uh, you want. I I think this is blowing my mind. I I I even got pictures of my head. It's I got I got a cut from here all around the top of the head. You know, they shaved my head, cut that all up, had to go in to drain my brain or something like that. But anyway, I get back to a village, the Eskimo village, and uh, by this time I had no idea where I was. Um, I'm trying to call my wife. I had the TV switcher, and I'm trying to call on that. Couldn't figure. And some people come down. I was the only one in this little little building sleeping in there. And uh, some people, some lady come down and talked to me or something. And, and I don't remember what she said. The, the outfitter, a guy named Fred Webb, who I'd hunted with in the Arctic a couple, two or three times before, hunted up there four times, and they were all with him. And this was the, the polar bear was the last Arctic hunt I went on. But I'm in so much pain, and there was a, there was a uh, guy from Dallas, a pharmacist that I'd flown in with, and he was staying someplace else in, in this village. And he wandered down to see how I'd done. He heard I was, <laughs> he comes in there, he's trying to talk to me, and I'm not making any sense at all. And uh, so he 
gets me on a plane to Dallas and then gets me from Dallas back to Reno. Or I had to, I had to laid in that room and died. But I had vomit on the walls and everything. I was really in bad shape. I, Holy smokes. Well, when, when was this? This was whenever in the hell I hunted that polar bear. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. Again, this might have been anywhere from 12 to 18 years ago, something like so that. So you started with that. And so I get back. I get you, to. You've had a lot of extreme accidents, <laughs> injuries, health issues. Yeah, you know, but if you if you go hard, you, you're going to bound to get hurt. So I get back to Reno, and uh, my mother-in-law was in the hospital, and she was dying. So my wife gets, I get back about noon. My wife gets a call. Your mother's going to die in the next hour or so. So she takes off to the hospital, and she calls. I have a son and two daughters, and they head down to the hospital. And I'm sitting here to my house. I'm not. I don't even know where the hospital is. My son-in-law lives next door, so he come down, pick me up, drive me down to the hospital. And by the time I got there, my wife's outside, and my kids and her mother had died. And uh, I'm sitting in a car, and my son walks over, and he's talking to me. He went back and told his mom, "You better get dad to the hospital. Something's really wrong with him." So they drive. So me nobody down. knew. No, nobody knew. <clears throat> so they drive me to the hospital, and I go get me in this in this neurosurgeon or something. Um, they get talked to me, looking. They said, "Shit, you know." So they took me in right then and there and cut my head open, drained my blood. This out. was days. It was like a week. I'd been eighteen days since I'd bashed my head. Oh my goodness! And uh, so this, they operated on there, and then. For a while afterwards, I'd be talking to you, and I'd be talking like we are now. And now all of a sudden, I'd be going, yeah, I couldn't, nobody could make it. And then they told my wife, well, we don't know if he'll totally ever come out of that or not. So this was leading into the, the Cape Buffalo hunt. But anyway, <laughs> so I got where I could talk again, and, and well, I was thinking pretty good. So they Safari Club come to town, and this is, I'm in Safari Safari Club came to town probably, let's say, two weeks after they'd done the surgery. So I put on a hat so I didn't like a, look like a fool and go down to Safari Club, down there with my son-in-law and my son, and I signed up for Cape Buffalo, crocodile. Two <laughs> weeks after brain surgery. <laughs> and and hippopotamus. And I go, now, you got to remember, I've been married to this woman for 50 years. She never wants anybody that lets you put their house on the line to go on a hunt. So... She never, you know, I made a good living for her, and you know, anyway. So I go back and I tell her, okay, I signed up, and I still got this big scar across my face. About a month or so prior to me getting hurt, I had another friend that had gone to Africa. He was a guide out of uh, Canada. He got killed by a Cape Buffalo. <coughs> so I go back and I'm telling my wife, okay, I signed up for... <laughs> And it's the only time in my whole hunting life and whole married life she went through the roof. She said, you are not going to hunt any more of those big dangers game as long as your head's screwed on goofy. So because she'd always been fine, I called up and canceled the hunt, so I didn't go. I thought, you know, that's the least I can do for a woman to put all, put all this. You know, she didn't want to send her husband with a big gaping hole in his head to hunt Cape Buffalo. So. Oh my gosh! Did so so that's still left on your list? Yeah, it is. I've thought about it. The biggest problem, I I don't know why I still was missing a stone sheep and maybe a desert sheep. 
<coughs> but I just thought, well, I'll do that. But uh, it, it's still on my list. The biggest problem I have now is that's a long ways to go by or you go by yourself. You know, none of my friends that I hunted with uh, hunt anymore. Uh, and, and the one or two that do, they can't afford to go hunt Cape Buffalo. So um, it's still on my list, but, you know, Soon as soon as Chad says, well, we don't need you hunting ducks anymore, I'll tell well, screw you, I'm going to go hunt Cape Buffalo. We're right? never going to say that. <laughs> well, Les, thank you so much for coming on here and oh, sharing your right. stories that I never get tired of hearing about. Well, if you're not lying, you're not trying. <laughs> that wit's one of a kind. <laughs> well, maybe after this season, well, we'll have some more adventures together. We'll come back on. You know, and one thing I'd like to say, very seldom do you see nice young ladies like yourself so interested in the sport, uh, totally, and, and very well dedicated, not in it for, you know, you see a lot of uh, uh, TV programs where you got a lot of these young girls in there, and, and you're very attractive, but they get these other young, attractive girls, and they're hunting pheasants or something in bikinis and i'm thinking you know it just it just is not really the same <laughs> no it's not realistic well thank you for that no I you're, you're very you're very dedicated to what you're doing which you and i think you maybe do work with women in hunting or something like that I i've done I, some lady stuff you know and you would be a real real advocate for women in sports just to see what you've done and what you do well i appreciate you know, it and it will really get enhanced when people find out that, yeah, I go hunt with Les Nesbitt and Chad a lot, and I always go sit on Les's lap when we're in the duck line. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, stay tuned for part two with Les after hunt season rolls back around. <laughs> right. We'll do her again. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, beautiful. I guess there's something you don't understand. Flag. Whistling Dixie